0: This week on Millennial.
1: Can I tell you, they were literally on the line. People don't know this. I don't think even our listeners from the show know this. They were listening in to every single
0: episode. Oh no! Wait, as you recorded? As we were recording, and oh then, my god,
1: uh, nope. And then we would send the episode when it was finished to another lawyer for a separate quality assurance check. Oh my gosh.
2: We wanted to talk about Dave Chappelle and Netflix. This started going down at the top of this month, but it's still kind of ongoing.
0: Right now is not the right time to be making quote unquote jokes about the trans community because they are currently under attack everywhere, everywhere.
1: At astonishingly high rates, by the way, the way Laura just mentioned, yeah.
3: Most Americans who go to religious services would trust their clergy's advice on COVID-19 vaccines. The community of people who attend regular religious services in this country, it's about a third of the population. So it feels like a huge opportunity to get through to at least some of them.
1: If I weren't looking at it going in, I wouldn't probably have even known. You to be look? Completely oh, I look away. I had Whoop. to look. I did have to look. why do you have to look? <laughs> because I was so excited. There was this like, level of like, <laughs> there's this level of like, we're going to get out of this.
0: Welcome to Millennial 740. I'm Andrew.
2: I'm Laura. I'm Pamela.
0: And today we are joined by one of our longtime friends. John Thrasher, a podcaster himself, also (laughs) formerly uh, a Hypeable writer, and he's got a whole career going on in the world of true crime. Welcome, John, to the show.
1: Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great having you on. We are going to talk about the true crime genre in podcasts today uh, okay. and also about you know how you've gotten involved with it but yeah we've known you for a really long time you actually <laughs> i met you in 2007 in pittsburgh at that's right what might have been the last show on the og MuggleCast tour that sounds right and we've been friends ever since and, yeah, then you got involved with Hypable, and... That's true. You even know Pam. It's, like, it, crazy. I know.
1: It's crazy. Yes, I know you guys. And that's why I was so excited that um, we could make this happen. We had kind of been talking about having me on and having Laura on my true crime show for the last, what, like, couple of years, actually, but... Um, yeah, I know everybody, Andrew. That's, that's the story of, of today's show. I know all of you. I know deep secrets of all of you, actually. So
0: <laughs> and uh, uh, now I forgot what I was gonna say damn it.
1: Yeah, through you through you a little bit with that one, didn't I? <laughs>
3: I was going to say, is it going to come out now that some of us have paid for hotel rooms so that we could line up at the mall to get new Apple OS software when it was still being sold on disks?
1: Oh my God, Laura, throwback (laughs) moment for us. That's true, and that did happen.
0: Laura, John, and I got together in Baltimore for the release of a Mac operating system, and we have pictures of us gleefully holding up the Mac software boxes back when- Updates fair. came on
1: CD. That's uh, that feels so long ago now. I can't believe Laura. That's such a great kind of observation about C- CD and DVD software because that feels so old. But to be fair, we were all drunk, so that it wasn't like just a nerd moment. That we were did all happen, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened too. We were all drunk, you said, yeah, Andrew. Think, you must be too drunk, we, but we didn't
0: drunkenly remember. go to the Apple store <laughs> oh, no, to buy the Mac the OS,
1: store. we were sober. I'm t- I'm referencing the party in the hotel room. Oh,
3: right. While we were installing
2: the software on our (laughs) computer. That is so. I thought y'all pre-gamed it before the Apple release and I was (laughs) Feel <laughs> like well that was yeah. an interesting choice, but
0: <laughs> I'm going to get back to 2000 whatever that was ate me and and drink every yeah. time there's a software update. <laughs> Woohoo! New Mac OS <laughs> actually one comes out next week. Let's do it. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. We should we should get together again and just download it on our very expensive new computers.
0: By the way, yeah. <laughs> John and I may have ordered the new MacBook Pros. Um, ah. Yeah, we, we still talk about not. Apple a lot, as you might be able to tell. <laughs> but so. We'll we'll talk about that more later. Well the the world of true crime later. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Pam, we actually have a couple of little updates first, right?
2: Yeah, I wanted to give everybody an update on the IATSI strike. We talked about this a couple of episodes back. Uh this is the uh strike that could have put everything basically filming in Hollywood around the nation at a standstill and it involved the crew members asking for better working conditions from the uh, producers whose projects they work on. So they were set to strike if a deal could not be reached by 12.01am on this past Monday and they finally reached a deal super late into the night on Friday. This came out on Saturday morning, I believe. So Yahtzee did not release the full details, but they did release some bullet points for anybody that's been following along with this. So according to them, a few things that the new three-year deal includes are 10-hour turnaround times between shifts. 54 hour weekend turnarounds and a 3% wage increase for each of the next three years. It also includes increased meal penalties, improved wages and working conditions for streaming productions and a living wage for the lowest paid workers. So on paper, this seems pretty good, but Mm. we actually have a listener who is a member of Yahtzee and I reached out to her to see if she had a comment on this. You know, as somebody that is directly affected by this, they are going to be able to speak to what this means so much better than we are. So this is from our listener, Cherie, and hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, Cherie writes, although a strike was averted, I do not believe that we are in the clear yet. The bullet points outlined in the agreement are very vague and underwhelming. Most people I have talked to are not happy. There still needs to be a ratification vote for the members to accept this agreement. I myself want to be able to read the full agreement before I make my decision, but there could be a chance that the membership votes no to the new agreement. I'm in my fifth year of my union, so these are unprecedented times. We all want big changes in this industry, and I don't know if we will be able to get everything we want this first go around. I'm proud of our unions for coming together to collectively vote yes on the strike. Without that authorization vote, the AMPTP would continue to take advantage of us. I'm living my dream working in the film and television industry as a script supervisor. I'm on a show right now that I love, but not every show treats us with the respect or cares about our livelihoods. We deserve humane hours and an easier way to get our health care They aren't raising our rates to compete with inflation. But thank you for continuing to talk about this on the show. The crew members of all of your favorite movies and TV shows needs your support right now.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Sherry. So it sounds like we're not out of the woods yet at all. And honestly, I thought it was all over based on what I was seeing last week.
3: Yeah, same. So I appreciate yeah, that. Certainly update. what the reporting has made it seem like.
2: Right, yeah. right. It isn't that kind of interesting, because when you look at all of these headlines that are summarizing what happened this past weekend, it all seems really good. And that's why it's important to keep listening to the people that are, you know, directly affected by these changes, because they're the only ones that are really going to be able to say whether or not this is a good deal for them. So,
0: OK, so we'll continue to watch this space couple other updates about us first of all we should have mentioned this last week we are moving the release of the show to wednesdays and we are now recording on tuesday nights we actually decided a couple weeks ago during a after dark on patreon that uh for a few different reasons it's way more convenient to record on tuesdays so that's an easy shift one day and we're doing it now and so now you can look forward to new episodes of millennial every wednesday so just fyi there also laura We have launched a survey.
3: Yeah, the Millennial 2021 Listener Survey is now up. Um, It launched this last Friday. It'll be open until this Friday. Um, We're really looking for y'all's feedback in terms of what you like on the show, what you'd like to see more of, maybe what you'd like to see less of. Um, we're also asking for feedback from patrons and non-patrons alike to learn what makes the Millennial Patreon valuable for you, or what could make it valuable for you, what could incentivize you to want to support the show. Um, so you can find that survey either in our Facebook group or across any of our social channels. Um, Jewel has very kindly linked to that. So again, it'll be open until this coming Friday. The 22nd, I believe that is. Um, okay.
0: So well, yeah, be sure get to on it fill now. that out.
3: Um, yeah, we All data is valuable data, and um, we're really, really thankful in advance for any feedback you're able to offer us.
0: Yeah. It's really important for us to know what you do and don't like about the show. So we love getting this feedback. All right. So let's talk with John about true crime. So... To get started, John, when did you initially become interested in true crime? Because you've turned this into a career. So it's kind of, I want (laughs) to chart, you know, how it started. how it started. Yeah.
1: The background to my story is I worked at Oxygen, the reality television network. Um, Started there in like 2012. And it was a reality network at the time. And then um, around 2016 or 17 transitioned into a full-time true crime network. So... My literal day job went from working on shows like The Bad Girls Club and The Glee Project, um both of oh, which Oh wow, I forgot yeah, about that show. Yeah. I know, a great show. One of the best uh Oxygen shows for sure. Um I only worked at the tail end of season 2 sadly, but I still technically say I worked on it. But anyway, so whenever Serial came out, I think Serial is kind of the big go-to podcast that everybody, you know, was listening to. A, a, Laura, I'm sure you've listened to it at at some point. Yeah, you're you're the true crime junkie here. That show really kind of captivated me. And this was kind of before um, I started working in true crime full time. We had a show on Oxygen called Snapped. And it's the classic OG true crime show. It's been around, my God, it's probably on its 30th season or something by now. Something crazy like that. Um, So I did have like a little bit of work to be doing in it. But then once we became full time true crime... And my obsession with Serial and just podcasting in general, I think at that time, Andrew, I was doing Glee Chat with Hypeable. Um, And then once that ended, I went off and did my own stuff. But um, to answer your question, uh, essentially what happened with Oxygen was they transitioned over to full-time true crime. I was working on it around the clock. And um, they were like, you know, we need we kind of feel like we need a podcast, you know, true crime. You can't be a true crime network without a true crime podcast. John, you do podcasting, right? Yeah. So (laughs) they kind of turned to me. And um, out of that, I kind of produced and co-host a show with Oxygen called Martinis and Murder. And that was the first true crime show I did. It was very successful. Excitingly. A lot of people really loved it. We had uh live shows and we were representing the network at like Upfronts and all this kind kind of stuff and and yeah so that's kind of like how I got into it and I've since left Oxygen I left there earlier this year um and now I work in a production company but after Oxygen Darren and I my co-host um basically rebranded and started a whole new show called Shaken and Disturbed And it's a lot like martinis and murder, pretty much the exact same format, except now we just own it, you know, (laughs) right? Working for the big network. So they, you know, we were just faces and voices and they owned all of that content. So, you know, when the time came, we were like, all right, I'm I'm leaving oxygen. We still wanted to do true crime. We were fascinated by it. We loved it. And um, yeah, so now I'm here talking about shaken and disturbed. That's where we are today.
0: And I'm so proud of you and Darren for going at it yourselves, launching your thank own podcast. You. And I'm sure it was scary to have to relaunch. But you know now, like you said, you own it. You do whatever yeah. you want. You yes. just have the listeners to answer to. Well,
1: and I have you to thank,
0: actually, Andrew, I should say, because you were
1: answering so many of my questions.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which I was more than happy to do. Which I was more yes. than happy to do. No, uh, thank you. I appreciate
1: it. I mean, it was weird because I had so much you know, history uh, in podcasting prior to Martinis and murder, but it was my first true crime show that I was launching, like kind of to have, you know, a business out of it. Like with Glee chat, we were doing it for hypeable. I don't know what even, I don't think we even ran ads on Glee chat and we did another, Darren and I did a, another show just for fun. So this was the first one where I was like, all right, we're going to set up a Patreon. Andrew, you were incredible for all of that. I really should pay <laughs> you to be honest. I'm realizing <laughs> as I'm telling you this, because you were really so my Venmo. Advising- Andrew
0: Sims. Yes, I you know. You or anybody exactly. else can pay me right now if you want.
1: <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much because it has been it's been a, a labor of love to get it off the ground, and we just launched in February. So um,
0: well, I was so excited to help you because I love seeing people go at it themselves, and yeah. you know, podcasts got their start because they were all homegrown. Yes. there weren't any of these corporate podcasts or anything. Mm-hmm. And then Serial, like you mentioned, came along, and then a lot of many more corporations yeah. got involved with podcasting. But back in the day, man. And it was it was, you know, it was just us doing our thing.
1: I was just going to say you and Laura in particular, you know, you guys were some of the first voices in podcasting. I don't know. Have you really kind of thought about that in terms of muggle cast? Yeah, we definitely
0: were very early. But I actually I I have to credit this bobblehead over here. My boy, Leo, uh, (laughs) Uh he he got me into podcasting because he was doing it after uh, getting kicked out of a television network. So that's how how I discovered podcasting. Mm. But yes, we were very
1: early. We were very very early. I mean, I remember listening to MuggleCast on actually that kind of iPod. I think that you have yeah, right there behind yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, back right in the right day. There, the,
0: yeah, iPod Video. I think it's called whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I have a question for you and Laura. And I've always Ooh, wondered this, these. but I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad John's here now so both of you can try to defend yourselves. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say on air, I'll be like, oh, Laura's a big fan of true crime. And she'll be like, yeah. I am, I am. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, wait, she loves when people are murdered? Like, wait. Yeah. So why are you two fans of true <laughs> crime? Because in one way, you could... <laughs> It implies you like when people are murdered.
3: Yeah. So I I was thinking about this because I can understand why sort of on its face, it could seem a bit odd. But when I think about true crime, I really feel like it's human interest, right? So there's so much that you can take away from true crime podcasts or shows, um, From a police procedural standpoint, if that's something that's interesting to you, from a behavioral psychology standpoint, if you're wondering how the hell could somebody find themselves in a position where they would be willing to literally murder another human being. There's also the element of um, closure for people. Some people find that really appealing about true crime when a case can be solved and families can receive closure. On the loss of their loved one and know that justice has been served. Um, so that would be the answer for me. It, it's not <laughs> that I like the idea of people being, you know, stabbed, <laughs> being um, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's all of the ancillary um, human interest stories around the people who are left behind that I'm mostly yeah. interested in.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: I love Laura. She's so intellectual and just like the and way eloquent. she responded yeah. to that. I love yeah. it. I, I yeah. could listen to her answer that for days. Um, <laughs> and yes, I I completely concur. But to to speak directly to, I think, the fan part of it, Andrew, I was thinking about this because... There is a bit of a fandom in when it comes to true crime. And there's a lot of similar behaviors to being, quote unquote, obsessed. I think you and Laura especially will know this as it applies to Potter and and other things. There are conventions now. You know, I've been to every crime yeah. con, you know, when since it started about five or six years ago. So wow. there's this, yeah, to everything Laura said. I mean, she said it so much better than I did, but I could. But I think there's also a thing, too, because... You know, when I look at my like my Instagram followers, for example, that I know are listeners of the show or have followed along, or even you know, some of my surveys, in fact, um, from my from my shows in the past, I want to say ninety nine point nine percent of them are young female uh, listeners. I mean, it is overwhelmingly female. So the question I get a lot, and the New York Times actually did a piece about this, and mentioned martinis and murder which was incredible yeah i know i was like oh my god mom i'm in the new york Times!" but it's about (laughs) the appeal of this for lack of a better term fandom to young women and i always have said this that to me it just feels like women are the more um intellectually emotionally developed of the two of the two species especially at a certain age i would say like you know, late 20s, mid 30s, which is like what a core uh, true crime demographic is, Um, there's just more empathy there. There's and to everything Laura just said, you know, like, you want the closure, I think there's even an aspect of people that want to um, know how to defend themselves in some cases, or know how to see or spot red flags in other cases, or, you know, one of the things about true crime that's that differentiates itself from every other genre in media is it is reality technically yes but it is they are nothing but true stories you know even reality television that you see a lot of that's produced you know you know right. the real people but they're produced um i almost i almost liken true crime to documentaries and why people like documentaries are probably the same reasons they like true crime um but it is one of those questions that there's no firm answer to you know to any of it there's no real understanding well, as to what it is
0: i think both of your answers were very very good i think um people like to follow these stories you just think mm-hmm. about fictional crime novels too and who done it's it's yeah, all very sure. interesting to people true crime is that, but real and there's an extra excitement there i say because it is real these things really did happen there's more intrigue sure. i guess i should say because because it's all true
1: and there's a connection, you know. People, you know, think about the people that like love Harry Potter or love the real housewives. You know, they, they want to not necessarily be them, but they want to immerse themselves in those worlds in a sense. And if you can make a connection to a crime, suddenly you're a little more interesting to your coworkers, suddenly you have some kind of purpose in terms of investigating. Um, and I think with serial in particular, Andrew, to your point that show built every every second of that show deserves an award because it built up such a suspense as to who done it who who are we going to find out next week is is involved in this and and are we going to get a resolution and then if you remember the last episode is oh by the way he's still in jail uh there's no real resolution to this and everyone was so outraged mm-hmm. they didn't get that resolution that they wanted so I think it's a little bit of think of what each of us are are mentioning here all wrapped into one, which is why it's such a hard kind of answer or question to answer.
2: Are most of the crimes that you cover on your show, are they solved or are they unsolved? And how do you guys That's a great
1: question. Yeah, that's a great question. So with Martinis and Murder, we did that show for four years. And because of the lawyer, uh, you know, the legal of it all, we had to make sure that all of those <laughs> cases had been tried. And there were no possible chances oh, for any kind of wow. defamation lawsuits. Yeah. So but you know, there's a little more leeway, I want to say with independent podcasts. This is another... <laughs> This is another kind of um, thing that we can get away with is, you know, we can we can um, talk openly about who we think did it, even if they're not, you know, the one who actually did it. You know, a a great example is the John JonBenét Ramsey case. You know, a couple of years ago, CBS aired the special on the John JonBenét Ramsey case. I'm forgetting the exact name of it now. But by the end of the of the special, which was it was a hugely rated special, they basically said that her brother did it. Um, that is extremely problematic. And he sued CBS and won for, I think it was like $750 million and it was a defamation case. I mean, three quarters of a billion dollars. I mean, wow. that's insane. So you do have to be careful because regardless of whether you're suing somebody or not, or worrying about a defamation lawsuit, you do want to get to... um the reality of it all right you don't want to point fingers if the if that person wasn't involved or or they have they have not been tried and and that's something that we really um take very seriously so to answer your question um yes most of them are even still with shaken and disturbed our our latest show we try to make sure it's easier to round out and won't get people you know coming at us being like we're suing you for 750 million dollars because yeah, we don't have that that totally right. makes we sense
2: did. and something for other people i guess if anybody else is trying to get in on this true crime well fad that's true. To, to consider yeah. because i wouldn't even think about that you know
1: yeah we would need way more patreon listeners so we don't get sued for that <laughs> and
0: be able well, to pay that I- back and I think, to be frank, and I think you were getting at this a couple minutes ago, because yeah. you aren't owned by a network, there's no network lawyers breathing down your back, you know, Can who I t- are paid to keep an eye out on everything.
1: Can I tell you, they were literally on the line. People don't know this. I don't think even our listeners from the show know this. They were listening in to every single episode.
0: Oh, No. Wait, as you recorded as we were recording, and oh then, my
1: God, uh, no, nope. and then we would send the episode when it was finished to another lawyer for a separate quality assurance check, oh my and gosh. by the way, very, very rarely, we got really good at knowing how to like sidestep the the details that would get flagged, so by like yeah the third or fourth month, we were totally fine with it. But yeah, um, yeah they were they were running that through multiple filters. Wow. So. wow. Fascinating. That
3: sounds stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's,
1: it's very stressful. And just working in true crime television, even on the production side now where I am, I mean, there is so much legal vetting happening in the background. Everything from- screen names being used on air to actual faces to and any and everything is is vetted and made sure there's no chance for any kind of legal problems which you know listen that's it's a business you got to make sure you keep an eye out for that type of stuff i so. get it
0: yeah for sure so i think one of the questions i wanted to ask is why is this one of the most popular genres but i think we've kind of answered that with your answers as to why yeah i would know, agree true. You two are into, quote unquote, true crime. <laughs> um, is it mentally taxing to be doing a podcast like this where you're always talking about this? I know you guys have fun on your show, too. And I think a lot yeah, of true yeah. crime podcasts kind of have like a relaxed atmosphere. Yeah. So is is it a lot for you? Do you need breaks? Yeah.
1: It's a great question. You know, whenever I first transitioned into true crime at the network at Oxygen, when I was working on it around the clock as my full time job, I think this was even before we launched the podcast, it definitely was mentally taxing. And then you know, what happened is, we had some shows where some of the victims families would come in. And I was a digital producer, by the way, for oxygen. So like, you know, a lot of the, for lack of a better word, talent, you know, they were victims, families, and people connected and experts of cases, they would come in, and I had the opportunity to interview almost all of them. And one of them that came in was a woman who um. Had lost. I'm trying to remember her exact case. I'm. I'm forgetting the exact situation, but she was the mother of of someone who had died, and I interviewed her. And at the end of the interview, she said, "I just wanted to thank you so much for giving me a chance to tell this story because six uh, months ago, nobody knew this story." And I'm like, "Oh, right. This isn't just." you know, the Glee Project or Bad Girls Club anymore. This is these are real people's lives and, and their life missions in some cases are to tell these stories and try to find justice for their loved ones. And when I reframed it in my head that like, my work could be potentially impacting other people's lives positively like that, like, specifically the victims families, or as I was just mentioning, people watching who may learn something or, See that missing poster sign or whatever on air and think, "Oh, I think I know who that might be." When you start thinking about how you're working and what it means to other people, it completely shifted my mind off of it. At from there you're I was doing like something meaningful. Yeah, it was super meaningful and like, listen, tr- there's not a lot of meaning in reality television. We can all I think agree with that, <laughs> you know. Previously, I was yeah. just, you know, going through the motions with getting what I had to do done for my job, but yeah, and then especially when we started Martini's and Murder, the podcast, and, you know, I had a chance to interview um, uh, Dave Holloway, who is Natalie Holloway's father. Wow. Yeah, so, and and that was creepy in a sense, because he has the exact same eyes as Natalie Holloway. Like, like just looking into his eyes was a lot, and you could see and feel the pain and the hurt behind, you know, his, who, by the way, is still missing, I should mention, Natalie Holloway. Yeah. Um, But having a chance to interview all these people on my show on a one-on-one basis in a similar way like we're doing here, it just it turned the tide for me, and I'm like, wow, okay, this is a career where it's heavy at first, and I will say, yes, Andrew, I definitely was like losing sleep and being involved in the blood and the gore of it all for, for around the clock and then coming home and trying to decompress and yeah you know that was definitely tough but w- like i said once you kind of reframe it to to what you're doing it really it changes the way you look at things for sure
0: and plus now you're working for yourself so there's that too it's like that's true you know, yeah with the more podcast- flexibility
1: yeah, with the podcast, that's true. I mean, you know, we, we get to choose, I think, a little more specifically what we want to cover. We we are covering more, um, you know, p- missing people of color, which the media, mainstream media doesn't really seem to do. Oh, I hate the word mainstream yeah. media because it just it sounds very 2016 political. Yeah, it's you know? a loaded <laughs> term for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I Zach, hate mainstream though. media. But in this yeah. case, I think you know what I'm saying um but also i am producing i did just recently contribute and uh, help produce a special on investigation discovery so i am back in my true
0: crime television world but so that's a tv um, channel and you are in the credits for this report right. on on gabby who we spoke gabby about Petito, you know that's right Petito. yeah well i mean that's you know of course it's unfortunate circumstances but i know it's exciting for you to have your name in the credits because you're putting a lot of yeah. work into this
1: Oh my God. I mean, you know, my, so that's my day job. I should say shaken and disturbed is kind of like my side project. My day job is working at this production company that produced this episode for investigation discovery. And, um, yeah, it was cool because, you know, I had been on the network side doing marketing and digital, you know, digital production. And like, you don't really get, you don't get credits for creating anything on air. You're kind of the, the web person essentially. So to work on something that actually aired, you know, I did a whole segment, a whole package is what they call it, um, on. That special, and that was another example. I mean, I was, you know, and that's that's another example of a of somebody that's still missing. You know, Gabby Petito was found, but her alleged killer, Brian Laundry, her boyfriend, is still missing at this point. So. You know, contributing to that and hoping that, you know, even if he isn't the killer, we have to be honest, we have to be open. He hasn't been tried.
0: John, All John, s- the lawyers aren't listening right now.
1: All, All signs can, you can- are pointing. <laughs> that's true. All signs are pointing to Brian Laundrie, but just as a professional, Andrew. Um you know, but that was one example of like, yeah, working around the clock on that special and getting my first on-air credit was really cool. And um, you know, it just felt like maybe someone's going to watch this and maybe they'll spot him out somewhere and maybe right. we'll find justice for this family that's mourning the loss of this of this woman, you know? Great, great point.
3: I just yeah. wanted to say how proud I know we all are, but I'm really proud of you because we've you. as you established, we've known each other for a really long time, yes, and you're a humble person, so you haven't shared all the various projects that you worked on leading you up until this point um but I know that you've worked really hard, and it's been a labor of love for you, and I'm just so happy to Aww. see you doing something that you love and something that you think you know, that you're feeling like genuinely makes a difference. Um, Thank you. Especially as a fan of the genre myself. And that's right. As someone who sees the difference that it makes. I'm just really, really happy and proud of you. Well, thank you. Oh, my
1: God. What an emotional moment. Andrew, are you going to start crying or anything?
0: (laughs) So, John, just to reiterate, he's going to hang around for the rest of the show. But John's podcast is is shaken and disturbed. It's available everywhere, I presume.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: Any particular links you want to plug or anything? <laughs> um, not necessarily.
1: You can follow us, you know, anywhere. We we always kind of promote things on our own social. So you can follow me at Jay Thrasher. You can follow my co-host, Darren, uh, at Carpe Darren. By the way, Darren is Andy Cohen's assistant. So she's very busy doing crazier things than even i'm doing so um it's just and a I'll, fun time
0: and uh john was once the bartender on watch what happens live right i was Any thrice comments? the bartender on three watch times what happens live. i know oh andrew gosh.
1: what are you doing keep up with my career what's wrong
0: with <laughs> jesus
1: no um yes three times the bartender at watch what happens live so That's obviously fun figure out how we got that booking cuz she is of course connected but um uh yeah we've done a lot of weird like i was on like the steve wilco show okay oh my loved God. it what yeah yeah by the way, we can see the can't Jerry Springer I, spin-off. It's a spin-off show, but by the way, he's a former police officer. So actually, there's a lot of really interesting. He has a lot of interesting details as it pertains to the true
0: crime of it all. And by the way, you were on Steve Wilkos because you married a horse, is that right? That's correct.
1: Yes, I did. Okay. I married a horse, and I was the first openly gay person to marry a horse, so it was oh. a very um it was a very monumental moment. Um so check that out on YouTube. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. Great. Great. Yep. I,
0: I googled yep. wildest Jerry Springer plots to find that <laughs> to find that idea. <laughs> I like that. You're quick. So the link to shaken and disturbed will have in the show notes too and on the website. Thank you. And yeah,
3: thanks for letting me,
0: you know, ramble on about it because I really
1: yeah. am passionate about. Yeah. It. Yeah. We could
3: I tell. mean, it's super interesting to us, but also to our audience. We've got people in our Discord who've already subscribed. Oh my god! Thank so you. So you've got some lo- some new listeners heading your way. Love it.
0: Yeah, Thanks, and guys. I think just to close things out, Serial, there was a rebirth there with podcasting. Yes. That's what oh, made 100%. podcasting explode around like 2014.
1: Not even um, with true crime, just all podcasts. In general, yeah. Like. Yeah. 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 There
0: was a second yeah. wave that suddenly occurred, and I think we're still riding high. I think everybody's just in now. I agree.
3: I mean, that's around the time Millennial was born.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we Remember? We are like, wait, we, like, wait, it we should like podcast. A, <laughs> interesting idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no millennial was twenty fifteen I think That's that may right. have been cereal. maybe cereal was why I don't know maybe we wanted to podcast well,
3: more that well, That was part of it. The other part of it was some drama. <laughs> with our facebook page well, from... i was
1: just gonna ask john will be
0: it. investigating that yeah. in the uh next that's episode that's my next of the show. that's right my
1: next episode yes well I, I didn't i don't know like what the deal is i literally don't if you don't mind me asking because i was on another show you guys did way back in the day smart mouths yeah what's the what happened yeah. there is that well the drama? So, uh, look at this investigative
0: reporter here this <laughs> is know. an episode of shaken and disturbed we just went our separate ways we'll just leave it at that okay well, we'll just i think i'm remembering that, that now sorry no (laughs) hard feelings we just we just went our separate ways (laughs) sounds good that happens by the way
1: sometimes of course
0: well especially like you said um We've been at this for 15 years.
1: Yes. 16, yes. actually. So, yeah. yeah, of course. You know, sometimes people, gonna... people
3: want to move on.
1: And that's yeah. totally normal. Yeah. And I, Darren and I have even talked about that. Like, she just launched a new podcast with Investigation Discovery, which, funnily enough, I am the executive producer on. Long story short, or long story there. But, you know, and I was like, I'm happy for you. Go do your thing. Like, if anything, it brings more attention to all of our, our greater work. And, you know, as long as people are happy, that's the most important thing. You know, you don't want unhappy people.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. We have one sponsor this week and they are the one place to turn to for investing, public.com. They make investing easy and help you make wise investment decisions. It's been a pretty nice week on the stock market, at least in my portfolio. And that's thanks in part to what I read and learn on the public.com app. Public.com will make you feel confident in your investments because the app lets you talk about stocks with others. You can follow people, including Laura and I, to see what we're investing in, and you can see why we're investing in these stocks. What I also love is that Public.com puts stocks together in themed collections so you can easily find the companies who you're already passionate about, like tech companies cannabis companies, plant-based movement companies, green energy companies, and more. I've been investing for a few years now, and I always lean towards the companies that I believe in and the beliefs that I carry with me because those are the ones I'm the most confident in. The markets can be unpredictable, so that's why you just gotta trust your gut. And thanks to their fractional investing tool, you can put a very small amount into any stock you like. For example, maybe you love Chipotle, but you don't love that $1,800 per share stock price. You can just invest a dollar or two, and there you go. You're now an investor in Chipotle, though unfortunately, guac will still be extra when you go to the store. Public.com is the easiest stock app you'll use, so you won't feel like it's out of your league, unlike other trading apps. It's the place to go to to trade with confidence. You can get started with as little as $1, and you'll even get a free slice of stock up to $50 when you join Public.com. Just go to public.com slash millennial to download the app and sign up today. Valid for U.S. residents 18 and over, subject to account approval? See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice.
2: We wanted to talk about Dave Chappelle and Netflix. This started going down at the top of this month, but it's still kind of ongoing. And the uh, backlash has been understandable, but not as incredible as Netflix is doubling down on on their support despite the public outcry. So for anybody who might have missed it, uh, they released a brand new Dave Chappelle stand up comedy special called The Closer on October eighth, And throughout the course of the comedy special, Chappelle made some jokes and comments about the trans community in particular, and it did not set well with people, understandably so. You can look up those clips on your own if you want. But he, uh, you know, uh, threw some support behind JK Rowling, who has been in the news for her comments against the trans community as well. And it was just a lot. Um, so following the release of The Closer, Netflix head Ted Sarandos sent out a note to a select group of employees who were raising concerns about the special and he really doubled down here saying that he didn't feel like it crossed a line in regards to hate or violence against this particular group of individuals. And he said that the company strived to support the creative freedom of its talent, even if some might argue that the creative creativity that it was putting forth might be harmful. Um, So in part of the memo, he said distinguishing between commentary and harm is hard, especially with stand up comedy, which exists to push boundaries. Some people find the art of stand up to be mean spirited, but our members enjoy it. And it's an important part of our offering. And in addition to this, he also name checked some other controversial titles that Netflix has put out, including the French film Cuties, and 365 Days, as well as 13 Reasons why. So I'm going to stop here because I noticed that somebody bolded 13 Reasons Why. So I'm assuming that one of <laughs> you has a comment about
0: this. That was me, but I wanted to touch on 13 Reasons Why later in the discussion, because in Ted's second memo, which we'll get to later, he said that content on screen doesn't directly translate to real world harm. Actually, it does. And Netflix knows it. Because after 13 Reasons Why, which involves suicide, was released, they added warnings to the show because they knew it could be dangerous to viewers. So when Ted says content on screen doesn't directly translate to real world harm, he's being hypocritical and he probably knows it.
3: Something else that I would add about 13 Reasons Why is that um, I believe that after the fact, you know, several months after the show was released, they edited out a particularly gruesome suicide scene from one of the final episodes of the first season hmm. and that just goes to show that they Netflix is certainly not against making those kinds of concessions when they're faced with a lot of backlash.
1: My my thought went immediately to, you know, when I think about the television of it all, like an advertiser pulled out because of the scene, but like, that's not how Netflix works. Right. So like, right, they do what they they want. make their money from subscribers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that sounds like that was a thing like a moral or an ethical decision, which doesn't really align with what's going on with the closer. So, hmm.
2: Uh, Laura, you're totally right about them editing out that scene, although I believe it took them a bit longer than a couple of weeks to do that. I want to say that they kind of did it leading up to the second season. But all of that was done after and it was really done. I believe if I'm remembering correctly, as a pushback from uh, not necessarily just viewers, but also uh, television critics and uh, Mm -hmm. outlets that were covering, you know, all of these stories about the rise in suicide rates and how all of, you know, the content on 13 Reasons Why should have come with a larger warning. And I, I also noticed that Netflix has been really good about making sure that those warnings are on the screen in in future titles. Like, I was watching You Season 3 over the weekend, and there's an episode that has a suicide scene, and they, you know, showed that warning, content warning slide right before the episode started. Hmm. So it's clear that they realized that uh, they could be getting into a lot of trouble if they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And here,
0: meanwhile, they're really standing their ground. They're not budging at all
2: right.
1: so far. yes.
2: Yeah, and, and this in- is.
1: Oh, go on, John. Uh, oh no, I was just going to say, but isn't this the exact plight of trans the trans community? Is they're just never heard, they're never represented, they're never um, given the chance to be dignified in any way? I mean, it's it's sad, and there's such an e- there's such an easy answer to this. I think, you know, maybe not necessarily a warning, but uh, something that's like Netflix does not you know, align with some of the transphobic commentary of Dave Chappelle. Then it's all on Dave Chappelle,
0: in my
3: opinion. Right. And something that I wanted to ask the panel, did we all watch the stand-up special?
0: I tried to find this area of the stand-up special because I Mm -hmm. wanted to see what people are actually talking about and debating. Because, you know, sometimes things can get blown out of proportion. It is pretty hateful. And we hear from experts that this content that occurs in the special is harmful. That's all I need to hear. Yes, If exactly. people who know what they're talking yes. about say it's harmful, it's harmful.
3: The reason I ask about did, did people watch the special is there has been a ton of rhetoric around this on social media. And I've seen so much commentary of I don't even need to look at this to know exactly what it is. And... I watched the special. There were parts of it that made me uncomfortable. And, you know, that's that's for me to sit with, right? That's for me to voice to Netflix. That's for me to voice directly. You know, if I want to rage tweet at Dave Chappelle, I can. <laughs> that's, that's the point. Um, there's no such thing as consequence-free speech. So Dave Chappelle and Netflix are welcome to put out... The content that they agree upon, um, but they're also going to hear about it from their um, viewers and their stakeholders, which is, I think, part of what Pam is about to go into here.
2: Yeah, the reason that this story is still making headlines is because of some of the aftermath that has s- transpired since people started speaking out about this. Uh, first, there were three employees that were suspended, one of which includes a trans engineer named Tara Field, whose tr- Twitter thread about the special went viral. Uh, Teacher reports that a source later confirmed that they were Suspended for attempting to join a quarterly meeting meant only for directors or vice presidents and not because of their comments. Uh, they were actually later reinstated fairly quickly, uh, partially due to just the public going crazy over finding out about this and that also wasn't a good luck. yeah also partially because they apparently did do an investigation which wrapped very quickly in which they said netflix said they that uh quote the employees genuinely didn't feel that there was anything wrong with seeking access to the meeting and that going forward they were going to make it very clear who was allowed in the room <laughs> where these well, meetings were taking place which is such bs May I interrupt
1: just for a second? Was it an email asking to be a part of a Zoom? Or were they like barging down the doors in a physical location here? I mean, what's the extent of them asking to be in a higher level meeting? Right. So this
2: was uh, not made clear in the article that I read. But I want to I feel like it was probably a virtual meeting, just yeah. thats what I heard, yeah, of the virtual walkout that's set to take place later on this week. And so it sounds to me like most people at Netflix are working from home. so. In addition, there was also an employee that was fired for leaking confidential financial data to Bloomberg. And this financial data detailed uh, kind of basically what Netflix was spending and what it was earning based on how much they paid for these specials. Uh, By the way,
1: that one I agree with. Yeah, to be honest. Completely
2: different case, but it is unfortunately linked to this. And again, it's just not a good look after they decided to suspend these three other people. So per the leaked data, Netflix spent $24.1 million on The Closer, which is the <laughs> Dave Chappelle special that was just released. And uh, they spent $23.6 million on 2019's Sticks and Stones, which was Chappelle's previous special with the streamer. And this is where it gets interesting because that special really only generated about $19.4 million um, after the viewership and the streaming and things like that. So it just kind of goes to show that even though Netflix took a little hit in 2019 with investing on the first special, they clearly felt like it was, you know, worth it to spend a little bit more for the second. Um, And then for a little bit of perspective here, the person that leaked this financial data also let slip that Netflix spent $3.9 million on Bo Burnham's critically acclaimed and nominated inside comedy special and then for squid game they shelled out 21.4 million
0: part of the reason these prices get so high is because there are bidding wars amongst the streamers Mm -hmm.
2: and chappelle to, to chappelle's credit you know he he's a household name he has been around and doing this for a very long time so i think it right. kind of makes sense to to make yeah. you know for him to make a little more
1: i love that we were all like no that's very unethical by the way here's the data that leaked <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have it right here in front of us by the way our <laughs>
0: lawyers are now listening <laughs> right. in live it's, and <laughs> telling me we have to cut all this it's right, public right.
2: knowledge now it is so. now yeah <laughs> fair <laughs> game
1: <laughs> that person should definitely have been fired. But by the way, yes. here's what they said. Right, uh, exactly. Netflix is this. Yeah. And
2: honestly, like, this is a bit of a side tangent, but Netflix is so cagey with its numbers and right. stuff like that. It pisses everybody off. So right. that's the only reason why people are so interested in something like this, because it, it gives you a much better perspective on if the numbers that they're releasing for all of these hit titles are even accurate or not
1: yeah and i think you know when i look at that 21.4 for squid game that's really surprising given that that was probably a, a shot in the dark for lack of a better term i mean i haven't yeah. watched it but i know what it's about so to pay that much for something they must have really thought this was going to be a big hit for them yeah I don't know, it's just not, something it's, interesting and
0: it's not it doesn't have a name attached like no there's Chappelle no ip yeah. angelina jolie yeah yeah
2: but I do think part of that is just because of the the rise in popularity of K dramas overall. They've already seen success with titles like cr- Crash Landing on You uh, and point. acquiring that. So it's an untapped market. And if it already did well overseas, it might have not been as big of a gamble as it looks like it was to to us if we're not familiar. Yeah. So
1: I also sorry, one last thing I wanted to say just about the Chappelle stuff. There is an element too where I'm sure there was an executive somewhere that thought, oh, leave that stuff in there. It'll get them talking because let's not forget the amount of press that this the controversy alone has created around this special gets Andrew and others going, you know, and skipping through and trying to like load the screen. And that's another view. So, I mean, there is something to that in terms of business model, you know? But
3: yeah, yeah, no, and there's true. something dishonest about it because we watched the entire special because I was like, I want to understand mm-hmm. the conversation. I knew we were going to talk about it on the show. I think Dave Chappelle is very antiquated in his thinking on yeah. this topic. Yeah, sure. However, from a marketing from a marketing standpoint, just if I were advising, if I were like a marketing advisor to Netflix, there were plenty of items that Netflix could have used to try and spin this into a positive. There's one point during the special where he speaks about his trans friend telling him, I don't need you to know to understand what it's like to be trans i just need you to understand that i'm having a human experience and he talks about the the positivity of being able to understand when someone's going through something because as people we've all been through something so maybe you don't know exactly what it is they're going through but as a person you can identify to some degree now I still, as I said, was made very uncomfortable with some of the comments. However, it's interesting to me that Netflix has not chosen to try and spin the narrative using some of the comments that could be uh, spun more positively. And that says something. It says something that they're allowing this controversy to ruminate.
1: It reminds me of the recent uh, conversations around the Facebook whistleblower, which I don't know if you guys talked about it on this show, but a a whistleblower, somebody who worked at Facebook uh, revealed that essentially Facebook says, we only get to what was it three or 4% of hate speech and hate video on Facebook and remove it because when it's not there, people don't come to Facebook and people don't you know, interact with our ads. And so for them hate speech and, you know, listen, we've all went, we all went through the 2016 and 2020 Mm -hmm. elections. We know how hugely important that kind of speech was for frankly, both, both parties in a sense. Um, And so like, it's kind of similar, right? It's like, here's, here's this major problem, but there's so many eyes looking at this problem that we're not, you know, we're hands off. There's nothing we can do about that. And in the end, people are, you know, getting a lot of money out of that, which makes it feel awkward and uncomfortable, but, um, yeah, it's sad,
0: I think Laura, the problem with his story about his trans friend was that to me, it kind of came off like he was just covering behind this story. You know, I'm not hateful, look at my i have a I have a trans friend right I, I can't how could I be hateful when this person I love this person to death? so I think there might be a little bit of that going on there, sure, um. In terms of like Chappelle and Netflix execs deciding like what to keep in, I would bet a lot of money that part of the agreement with Chappelle was that he has creative control. They can't cut anything unless they get his permission. And so that's probably one reason why they didn't even bother trying to cut anything. And one other little thing I want to add, Roxanne Gay actually wrote a nice little piece about the special in the New York Times a few days ago, and it's pretty short, but it basically summarizes why Chappelle's comments on trans people were just a load of crap. So if you want a quick take on the on the details of what actually goes on in the special, definitely check that out. And then the final thing I'll just add real quick is I did watch other parts of the special and he is damn funny. I mean, I was busting out laughing sometimes. He is an iconic comedian, but with this, he did go too far because it is harmful at this stage, especially.
2: And I think Laura hit the nail on the head where, you know, with her thoughts on how Netflix really is not doing a good job of controlling this narrative. And I think a really nice way to surmise that is to read out, uh, This little quote from Ted Sarandos's second memo that was a wider note to all staff at Netflix in which he added content on screen doesn't directly translate to real world harm adults can watch violence assault and abuse or enjoy shocking stand up comedy without it causing them to harm others and in the same memo he also went on to make a comparison with how first person shooter video games are on the rise but that hasn't directly correlated to higher crime rates worldwide um it's just a very different case uh to compare you know trans lives which are very much um you know in danger in america to video games and in crime rates there's a big
1: there's a big difference between right and wrong, which I think we can assume most people watching Netflix can ascertain. And there's a difference between educating people on the stereotypes and the problems around specifically trans people. Because I think not just in America, but the world at large, you know, there's just there's just not a societal understanding of trans people and their rights and what they're trying to achieve as a community and the respect that they're looking for. And that's where the harm comes in because what's happening is 15 year olds are going to log in and watch this and they're going to repeat these words in school. And it then perpetuates an endless system of hate and rhetoric that only uh, even subconsciously like makes people hate trans people. And it's like, We've been through this as humanity how many millions of times at this point mm-hmm. with, with, you know, with gay people, with the civil rights movement in America, and so many other oppressed uh, minorities. It's like, to me, it's like, I just, I can't understand how people at, at Netflix and beyond aren't understanding this. So it's confusing.
3: Yeah, well, and this, this comment really rubs me the wrong way about, you know, first person yeah. shoot- shooters. It's like, okay, well, you're talking about... Um, a much larger chunk when you're talking about translating to real world harm as sort of a generic um sample size you're talking about a much larger population and trans people per capita, particularly trans people of color color are yes. murdered at astonishingly high rates, so yes. you really can't compare these two when you're making these kinds of justifications um and i think no. the point y'all bring up about this is great you know timing plays a big part of this too i'm not yep. saying that it would ever be acceptable to make these kinds of jokes but there's potential that perhaps the community might not interpret them as being as harmful as they are now say if they were made 50 years from now assuming that right. significant advancements are made in that time.
0: I, I agree with that. And an example I'll give you is that he makes gay jokes in the special, as he does a lot mm. of the time. And I don't get hurt by them because I know that we as a society have become more accepting of gay people. Is there more work to do? Absolutely. Oh yeah. But we know we're in a better place. And right now is not the right time, to everyone's point, to be making Mm -hmm. quote-unquote jokes about the trans community because they are currently under attack everywhere, everywhere.
1: At astonishingly high rates, by the way, the way Laura just
3: mentioned. Yeah, yeah. and I think, too, it's it's a great way to point this out is to say this is a community that is actively under attack, so it's not appropriate.
0: Yes. Bingo. Perfectly said. We solved it.
1: We solved it. We need to start our own country and government, guys.
3: Clearly. And and I agree. You know, I say this as somebody who has enjoyed Dave Chappelle for many years. I don't agree with yeah, everything. Same. Yeah, I I don't agree with everything he says. I never have. And like Andrew, there were parts of this special where I was laughing, but we got to some of the trans rhetoric, and I was like, "Ooh, this is uncomfortable," because. It's not funny. It's not well, funny. That's people the other are saying if it's
1: if it's not funny then then that's that lands on its own in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. Like you mm-hmm. can't even have the conversation about about what you're saying if you're not even making people laugh about mm-hmm. it, you know.
2: Trans women are women, trans men are men.
1: There we go.
3: Yeah,
2: there don't go. be an asshole.
1: <laughs> There's that too.
2: So
3: Our final story for today comes from my favorites over at Pew Research Center. Um, So they've recently done a survey, actually, as of September of 2021, finding that most Americans who go to religious services would trust their clergy's advice on COVID-19 vaccines. So there's obviously enormous potential there. But digging into this data, I was really interested to see what their findings were. So first of all, want to point out that 64% of respondents to this survey reported having attended a service in person in the last month, which is up from 33% in July of 2020. It's a pretty big jump. People are starting to go back to regular life. Um, you know, churches and various religious institutions are starting to open their doors. There has also been a decrease in the amount of virtual services happening because of this. So along with this increase in in in-person attendance to churches, 6 in 10 U.S. congregants, or 61% of the people who responded to this survey, say that they have at least a fair amount of confidence in their religious leaders to provide reliable guidance about getting a vaccine. So then this is the part that was that kind of floored me because this was not the data I was expecting to see from this survey. Given that, why do more than half of us congregants or 54% of people surveyed here, um, say that their clergy haven't said much about the vaccines either way.
1: I have Mm. thoughts.
3: (laughs) I would love to hear them, particularly (laughs) because, I was not raised raised in a religious context, so yeah. I'm coming at this with the understanding that I may be missing something here
1: well, so you're asking your your question is why haven't the leaders of these churches said something either way yeah right is yeah, I think that I think it's political. I really think that it all has to do with these these are public figures, they are the leaders of their small communities in a lot of cases. And they probably just don't want to get into a political war. And and frankly, let's be honest, too. In some of these bigger churches, um, they're making money off of these people that are coming to their churches tax free, I might add. And they can't they don't want to piss somebody off and have them not show up to their church one day, because even a five, 10 percent change in that can drastically change, a you know, a, a, how many a private jets pat- they can buy. Well, can I tell you? I worked on a show called Preachers of LA and it were it's the it was these super preachers. I swear I'm not I'm not just obsessed with myself. I just have random weird connections no, <laughs> to love a it. lot of these cases or a lot of these topics. And it was these super preachers who who had literal private jets and they made all of their money off of their congregation and not having to pay the taxes and things like that. So I think I think to answer the question Laura, it is that they don't want to lose what's the word like membership not membership but uh, attendees even attendees yeah. Yeah, yeah because it it is their way of life they want to maintain and to their credit they want to maintain their own sense of normalcy right they want to maintain their own whatever lifestyle it is so that's that's my guess because I'm also here in a small town in Maryland and the conversations that i hear over over here at the at the grocery store and beyond are just very similar to what i just shared but that's just my thought i mean well, i could be completely wrong like you Laura i wasn't raised in a in a religious household so i can't really speak directly to that
0: i think your ideas are correct at least in some cases but to add to that we've also spoken about i think on this show over over the years that a number of people who are practicing any religion are on the decline and it varies yes. depending on the religion they don't want to increase the rate of <laughs> people who are leaving and right. i agree with you john it, this unfortunately is a very political issue and we know that a lot of these people who are attending church uh maybe especially who are evangelical um or christian or catholic a lot of them watch fox news a lot of them you know, we'll watch CNN and MSNBC. But they'll get a lot of news from Facebook as well. And bottom line is everybody's got a strong opinion on the (laughs) vaccine. And these preachers don't want to wade into it for the reasons that John just said.
3: So I want to challenge your assumptions here, because I had to challenge my own assumptions when going through this data. Um, So digging into specific sects 73% Seventy-three percent of evangelical churchgoers are saying their clergy also has not said anything one way or the other. Now, I'm going to check myself right here and say that I was expecting to see that evangelical churches were coming out strongly against people getting vaccinated. Like I
0: they're so not seventy-three because you see the headlines. No. Yeah,
3: yeah, but they're actually just not saying much of anything about this, which was surprising to me. It was a good gut check moment. Um, On the other hand, most members of historically Black, of the historically Black Protestant tradition, um, say that their pastors have encouraged them to get vaccinated. um, And that was about 61% of that community. So we're seeing that Black churches are doing a much better job of this than most other um, congregations here in the United States, um, so I wanted to ask first of all, are any of these numbers surprising to us, or is it just me? Did I go into it with my own like preconceived notions about what churches we're going to be doing or not doing?
0: This is good news to me because one thing I was thinking while reading through the discussion was, people have a deep respect for their religious leaders. They listen to and follow every word these leaders say. Many of these leaders have been in their lives and in their families' lives for a very long time. It actually kind Mm -hmm. of reminds me of podcast hosts and radio hosts and television personalities. The more you listen to a leader in a position of power and you're hearing from them on a weekly basis, the more you might follow what they're advising. These religious leaders are a direct line from God. So for a religious leader to be preaching the effectiveness of vaccines would be very effective in convincing their constituents to get vaccinated, too. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah.
3: And to really drive that home, this same survey found that the only people that the respondents say that they trust slightly more than their religious leaders are their primary care doctors.
0: Ooh, should be a bigger gap there but okay yeah
3: yeah there there <laughs> there should be but there's not so my thinking about this of course I have to confess when I was reading over this survey the other night I was a little uh stoned and so I got <laughs> uh, I got it stoned I got excited because I was like this is a huge opportunity I mean this the the community of people who attend regular religious services in this country. It's about a third of the population. So it feels like a huge opportunity to get through to at least some of them. Are we going to get through Mm. to all of them? No. Um, I had this conversation with Mark and he was like, babe, you got to remember like (laughs) getting all of these sects to agree on what Christianity even means is like an issue in and of itself. So you're never going to get everybody on board with the same thing. But I was like, if we can influence at least one, even one person who's yeah. attending church, and if their, um, you know, pastor, uh, your rabbi, your imam has not said anything about vaccines, and you're comfortable in, enough in your community to ask why, I would say to ask why. It's, I think, your duty as a leader in a community <laughs> to shepherd people in the direction that's going to be most healthy for them.
1: I was just gonna, you literally just said exactly what I was gonna say. There there is a certain, I think, moral and ethical responsibility for these leaders. And let's also take a minute and just think about this survey in and of itself, because it's like, the fact that people have to trust anyone to tell them about something that is scientifically non-problematic is crazy in and of itself in a sense, right? Because there've been studies there've been peer it's been peer reviewed there's been a control group i mean the the way these vaccines have been you know rolled out has been very similar if not even more attentive than some previous vaccines that frankly most of us who have gone to public school have already had to have so the fact that there even needs to be a question do you trust anybody else to tell you about a vaccine is just an an unsettling thing in and of itself yeah, but I know. Yeah,
3: I feel you. I I found myself pulled in two directions on this. I was unsettled Mm -hmm. by it. But on the other hand, I was like, shit, if that's how we get to people, like if we just need to meet people where they are, fine. Um, and I want to call out uh, Tracy here in our discord. Tracy is a youth minister um, in an Episcopal church and says our bishops have highly encouraged the vaccines and made rules for local parishes about vaccination and mask wearing. Our wow. rule is now that unvaccinated people have to wear masks. Almost all of my parish is vaccinated and therefore my boss slash priest hasn't had to say much.
0: Hmm. That's great. great. I mean, if if you look at a lot of headlines about this situation, you normally hear about like these mega pastors who are going out and being like, don't believe the vaccine It's going to kill you in 10 years, stuff like that. You never hear the good stories like this.
2: But there have been some, I know that like uh, early on in the, the vaccination rollout process, you know, people were talking about religious exceptions. Um, I know that like for the on the side of the Catholic church, I'm a lapsed Catholic, but I was raised Catholic. There've been <sighs> some priests and also um, some uh, archbishops, I believe that have encouraged vaccination and, Um, The Pope was in the news, I think, just a few days ago talking about how he thinks that the patents should be released so that more people around the world Mm. that haven't been able to get vaccinated can get vaccinated. So that's like the head of the Catholic Church, essentially saying that everybody should, you know, and a lot of people are really pissed off about that. Um, I went to church a few months ago, uh, for my grandma's funeral and they were really strict on the rules there. Everybody had to wear a mask or they couldn't come in. They wanted even masked people to be sitting like within immediate family groups and to have like room between pews and stuff like that. We had uh, quite a few people show up because my grandma was a popular lady, but it was just <laughs> really nice that like, That's cute. you know, the church was the one enforcing the rules so that we didn't have to worry about that. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So that really and, made us feel so much better about that. Yeah. And that.
3: there are churches that have done, um, and I don't want to just say churches, there are religious, right. Um, you know, houses of worship that have done amazing work during the pandemic, holding vaccine drives, um, at the very least getting their congregations, you know, loaded up into buses and transported over to get their <laughs> vaccine. So there certainly are religious uh, institutions that are doing the work that needs to be done. Um, Specifically, want to call out a church in Nashville that was reported on uh, by NPR this last week, um, which previously denied the pandemic severity, um, but changed its perspective after an outbreak among its own congregation. Wow. Um, So at the very least, there are definitely people out there who are seeing the light, as it were, and I'm not trying to be punny there. (laughs) No,
1: that's a great point. But isn't it's so that's what you hope happens, right? Because Mm -hmm. by the way, this is unprecedented. None of us have had to live through this on on this planet, at Mm -hmm. least most of us. So you hope that if you are thinking like, you know, you're denying the severity of it, and then it there's a huge outbreak. You hope that they learn that you can learn from that and yeah and, and take these people to get vaccinated and change your your priorities. I mean, that's just growth. i think I think back to like the election cycle, too, you know, like I knew some people who you know voted a certain way, I guess we'll just say in two thousand and sixteen who 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 came to me apologizing as if they owed me any kind of an apology whatsoever. but you know, there was a lot of guilt in like, oh, you know, like, I didn't know. I didn't realize. I wasn't as aware. And I think there's a lot of similarities to that, to to this COVID situation that we find ourselves in, because now we're almost two years into this, and you (laughs) hope that more people are... Seeing, I know Andrew, isn't that ridiculous? Like, here we are two years later, but you know, you hope people just grow from that and can learn and be that self aware that, like, it's okay if, like, you previously denied the vaccine and want to get it now. It means you've grown, it means you've learned, it means you've educated yourself. But for some reason, I'm just not seeing a lot of that out there, to be honest. Laura, I'm happy that you use that church in Nashville as an example because you don't hear about that too often.
0: Yeah. It's hit or miss. I've definitely seen some stories, of course, people when they're on their deathbeds because of COVID, they're, you know, I wish I got the vaccine. I wish I got the vaccine. That's true. In that case, of course, it's too little too late. Um, But there are other people who got really sick and then I think got more serious about the vaccine. But you're right, John. So many people are refusing to budge. They can't seem to admit when they're wrong and they continue to be fed lies by certain media outlets and what they see on social media.
1: Can I add one other thing?
0: Yes, please.
1: By the way, I can't stop talking. Andrew, you're going to have to edit me out. There's I just don't, I don't much. know how
0: your episodes of your show are less than an hour. Like you're you're. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I do want to just say, I have a theory. This could be a little bit of a crackpot theory, I, I admit. But I will say, because I had a little bit of my own experience with this, I think a lot of anti-vax people are actually not anti-vax, and they're anti-needles, and they don't want to say it. I have, Mm -hmm. I've grown, listen, maybe it's not a lot, but I do think that there is something to this because I myself had been very, very needle phobic, like all my life, even when I was a little kid, I hate, we all hated getting shots. Right. But it like traumatized me apparently. Um, But I do want to say, because I did this on my show, I want to say this here because maybe there's even, if there's even one person listening that could take this advice and get the vaccine who hadn't had it before, then it's a win. I am not exaggerating when I say that when I got my vaccine both times, I did not even feel the needle. I'm Neither. not. No. Yeah. Did anyone else? Did I'm assuming you're all vaccinated. I don't
0: even know.
3: Oh, yeah. Honest, but. Yes. <laughs> we have a strict <laughs> vaccination sure. rule for this panel. For the Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good.
0: That's good. You have to submit your ID card through <laughs> vaccination card through Zoom. No, but yeah, you're right. There's I think people it. see photos. And they get a little skeeved out, seeing that needle go into somebody's arm. But, you know, on the other hand, you got to show people getting the vaccine. I think that also builds trust. So it's, you know, it's tough.
1: Well, I have a thing called, it's called white coat syndrome. And basically what it is, is when you... Yeah. When you enter, you know, a doctor's office, your heart starts beating. I have to have yep. my vitals taken like 20 minutes after I arrive because my heart starts going crazy. And they're like, uh, your blood pressure's going crazy. We might yeah. need to give you some medicine, you know. So I think that there is a lot. Maybe I don't want to say a lot. Maybe I'm just th- making something up. But I know for me, I was a little nervous, not about getting it. I was always going to get it. But I was like, is this going to hurt me?
0: No, I mean, I I was nervous when I got my first vaccination. And you yeah. know they do the vitals, and they noticed yeah. that my blood pressure
2: was high. And I think yeah. she literally said to me, "Are you nervous?" I'm like, ha, ha, ha,
0: ha, "No." <laughs> what
2: are you talking yeah. about? I just preface everything medical with, "I have anxiety. I don't have high blood pressure." <laughs> yeah,
0: I need to start doing that. I need to start yeah. doing yeah. that. Same. I'm a little so nervous. So this is for any
1: for anyone who's listening who may be worried about the pinch or the feeling or whatever. It, I, I am not exaggerating. Did not feel it. If I weren't looking at it going in, I wouldn't probably have even known. You to be look? Completely oh, I look away. I had Who? to look. I did have to look. Why do you have to look? <laughs> because I was so excited. There was this like, level of like, <laughs> there's this level of like, we're going to get out of this. You know, now right, in retrospect, right. it's hilarious to think that we were ever going to get out of this. But at that point, I was like, it's happening. Oh my God. You oh, know, my I was just. God. You weren't I taking know, a I'm picture, red-
0: were you? Some people took a picture as they were getting um, it. Um, Maybe I did. Oh, take a picture, my. look at Andrew? this social media no. star. The only,
1: no, the only reason that there's a picture is because I ran into somebody there that also was getting their vaccine and she took a picture of me getting oh. it. Oh, yeah. That's a good, that good friend. Yeah, she is a good friend.
3: Yeah. In John's defense, I looked, too, both times. Yes. Yeah. Why do you want to look? Do
0: you want to make sure it's going in? <laughs> like, no, I just,
3: I have morbid curiosity.
0: There's something wow. to that, yeah.
2: I didn't look, I didn't even look at the box.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, watching them prep the needle and <laughs> no, stuff. No, I didn't even no. look at
2: that at all. I was I'm like, I'm like, just tuning out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But But you are right, John, you don't feel it. You don't.
2: Well, closing
3: thought here, um, I I was wondering, I wanted to take y'all's temperature. Um, We know that, you know, religious institutions, um, you know, get lots of tax benefits from their status, um, which I certainly have opinions about. But I was like, you know what, if we could get a significant portion of these churches on board with holding vaccine drives for their congregants, I'd be down to give them grants. There would have to be stipulations about what they could use the grant money on, but (laughs) I would be down. And that's like probably the one and only instance where I would personally be okay with federal money going to these private institutions.
0: (laughs) I wanted to give y'all's take on that. Given how close that the constituents feel with leadership in these houses of worship, I would be down for it because I really do think it would work. People who attend these services really trust these people. Like I made with the podcaster example before people, people really believe what, uh, the hosts of podcasts say that they're a big fan of hosts, hosts of radio shows that they're a big fan of. I do think this would work.
1: I agree. I think that, um, if you're gonna incentivize people through churches and you can sort of control the money and the flow of that money and how it's how it's done, then I'm of course a hundred percent for it. I mean, I've heard of places giving like I know a place locally that uh, a business that is offering employees one thousand dollar bonuses to get vaccinated, and there are still people that wouldn't won't take that.
3: I don't get so it.
1: I don't get it either, especially the the monetary part of it, especially in a small town like mine, you know, like you would really think that would be an incentive. So I I agree. I think if, um, you know, if we've exhausted all other options and like, this is a surefire way to like, you know, as you said, Laura, the data is, is backing all of this up that there's, there's potential then of course we need to do it. Yeah.
3: Well, it would, it would certainly be easier said than done, but (laughs) that's an idea. There you go, uncle Joe, please.
0: (laughs) Do you think it would work, Pam, as a, you know, you said you're a, what was
2: the phrase you used? I'm a lapsed Catholic. Lapsed Catholic. <laughs> you think um, it would work? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, honestly, I thought that all it was going to take was just them saying we can resume normal worship if y'all get vaxxed, but clearly that didn't work. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if it could it potentially work, why not? I, I don't know what the success rate would be, honestly. Um because, you know, like I said earlier, you, you've you seen people get pissed off that are, you know, mm-hmm. whatever religion, whenever somebody that is, you know, a spokesperson for their religion speaks out in favor of vaccines right. if they're really not into it. But even if it's just, you know, a tiny spike in more vaxxed individuals, yeah. it's it's worth it for that alone.
0: All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. But what's coming up in After Dark today on our Patreon
2: so
3: we're going to have kind of a laid back discussion about um, what we would do or what we would say to our 15-year-old selves if we were able to hop in a time machine and go back. What advice would we give? What advice wouldn't we give? What life lessons would we think that our younger selves still needed to learn, still needed to figure out on their own versus, you know, what what aspects of this life could do we think we would help ourselves out with? <laughs> give ourselves yeah, a little I like tip. I it.
0: I like it. I'm very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. You get a new installment of after dark every week and we attach it to the main show ad free and you can you can download it through your favorite podcast app, at least most of them, not Spotify, but most of the others and your support goes a long way keeps the show running. So thank you very much. All right, time for recommendations. I want to recommend one of the best shows on HBO Max, <laughs> Succession. Anybody else watching this?
3: No, but I no, know I need to.
0: I was just going to say the
1: same thing, Laura. I'm like, I'm like the only one I think that doesn't watch the show, apparently, according I, to my Twitter, at least.
2: Yeah. I saw the first season, but I haven't
1: oh, gone forward. Okay. I've had
3: so many people tell me that it would be yeah. right up my alley. I started
0: watching because Twitter was on fire every Sunday with the first season. So I had to uh, come in on the uh, actually it's this season that I'm watching uh, every week. I caught up after season two finished airing. But yes, such a great show. It's about this Rupert Murdoch type family who runs a big media conglomerate. And uh, the family is just a a mess. And it's really funny. Uh, There's so much to love about it. So please check out Succession if you need a new show. It's on HBO season three airing now.
3: This is your annual PSA reminder that every year is an election year. Um, So we've heard a lot of hubbub made, obviously, of the 2020 election. And then we have the 2022 midterms coming up next year. But don't forget about 2021. You probably have some local shit going on that you need to vote on. So check out your state's voter portal, um, get that um, sample ballot, and see what's going on. I know for me, We've got um, some education spending on our ballot, and that's something I feel very passionately about, so I'll certainly be voting, and
2: you should too.
1: That's a great one, by the way,
3: Laura.
2: This is much more low stakes than Laura's wreck, but um, <laughs> it's getting really cold, but more finally, fun. up here where I am in the Bay Area, so I want to recommend uh, my favorite seasonal uh, pumpkin offering from Trader Joe's, which is the pumpkin spice coffee. And if you don't want to shell out for this, um, I would recommend just popping some ground cinnamon in your coffee before you brew it because it just makes the house smell nice and it tastes so good. It's it's a good uh, time to to do that and to just enjoy fall in a small way.
1: I had trouble thinking of one of these recommendations, but I will say... I don't watch a lot of television these days because I work in television all day long and I'm reviewing edits and things like that. But um, I'm really loving Marvel's What If series. I don't know if you guys are following along. Laura loves it. Laura, are we are, this is like I'm obsessed with you. Like we're just so aligned today <laughs> with so many th- different things. Yeah. Um, because Laura's eyes just rolled in the back of her head when I said this um, in a good way. Yeah, in a um, very
3: good way. Great show.
1: <laughs> I was expecting not to really like it because I'm not a big animated series fan. It turns out it's incredible. A must-see and a lot of your favorite characters came back to uh, voice these characters so you can catch it on disney plus i feel like i'm reading an ad but whatever
0: <laughs> use code shaken and use disturb. code yeah shaken and disturbed <laughs> and actually speaking of on. that so john thanks so much for joining us today it was wonderful having you on you fit right oh in God. we had a Please, great time can i time. come back
1: like every week like i'm obsessed with this and this was like the most fun i've i've had all week you
0: could you could definitely come on again maybe I, i'm anointing <laughs> I you just as, kidding, but thank you i'm yeah. a, don't take this the wrong way but i'm anointing you as my substitute you can be oh, my I sub love if I ever miss the show. Yeah, okay. And I thought thank you might take you. that the wrong way, like, oh, no, I get you, it. I, I can only come on when you're not here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank
0: so you. again, John's podcast is shaken and disturbed, and you can find a link in the show notes. And Laura will uh, be on at some point. I think as a big true
3: crime yes. fan. I'm so excited. <laughs> We're
1: going to talk right after this and book you immediately. Uh, Absolutely. Yes, perfect. Yes. And actually, Laura, you should bring up whatever like case you've, you've always wanted to talk about. We'll do that case. So think oh, about man. that. Oh, man. Maybe some of your listeners could give you a suggestion. As yeah. well. We take a lot of case suggestions.
3: Ooh. That's, yeah. it's, it's, uh. It's an intimidating thing. I want to take the right stroking case. her
0: chin right now. She's like, yeah. this is my moment It's a true crime podcaster.
1: But by the way, guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, you letting me ramble. I think Andrew's yeah. going to have a lot of editing to
0: do. <laughs> I apologize. You're fine. Uh, not too much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Thanks, All good. Guys. All good. It was really great. Uh, a couple other reminders. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, please do leave us a review. If you have anything to say about today's episode, you can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And finally, follow us on our social media channels. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew.
2: I'm Maura. I'm Pamela.
0: And I'm John.
2: Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.